So glad you're here this morning. Thanks for coming and being a part of Outward Church. As I said last week, uh, we're looking to make uh, children's ministry even better than what it is. And so what that means is that we need people to sacrifice and to serve in uh, our children's area. And uh, so specifically what this looks like is that you're not going to get thrown into a room with just a bunch of kids and you, you by yourself. Uh, that doesn't typically happen. I want to say it has happened before, but that's when people bail. Uh, but, I, but our plan is to see uh, additional volunteers help out in each of those classrooms. So it's like the difference between having two people in a classroom with uh, uh, quite a few kids uh, to having three or four. And so that, that's what we're looking, looking towards. So we know that right now we're coming, wrapping up the end of the summer, and many of us still have trips and things that we're doing. We want to put a bug in your ear about this uh, because the truth is that the church cannot operate without people standing up and saying, I'm willing to serve. And so if you're just attending and you haven't really gotten involved in service, um, listen, we're glad that you've come and that you've, you're just checking things out right now. But don't let that be uh, where you stay. We want to encourage you to actually take the next step and, uh, and serve the body of Christ together um, as his people. This isn't like a life sentence. You don't have to do it forever, uh, but it's a way that you could potentially serve. So we mentioned something last week. I don't think we got any response. I'm sure that there's folks here that could serve in this way. I just want to winsomely let you know that this is, a, this is an opportunity to see that area grow. When people come and they drop off their kids and they see a lot of children with just a couple of adults, uh, that can be intimidating for them. So you can help newcomers be here and hear about Jesus by serving in that way. I know it doesn't seem like it, it's connected that way, but that would be super helpful to us. We've been in the life of Joseph out of the book of Genesis. Really, we've been in the book of Genesis. I for, for, forget to keep checking or to check this at all, but we started Genesis about a year ago. Uh, last fall, and so we've uh, been in Genesis for quite some time. This has been our plan all along, and so uh, we've been coming towards the end of the book of Genesis. Last week, we did several chapters. Uh, just work; These stories are long and drawn out, and so we tried to uh, kind of go through those a little bit quicker than we normally would, um, and so this week will be about the same. We'll, we'll breeze over some passages, but then we're going to try to get the heart, the meat of what's going on here. That's not our, our normal thing that we do. But as we come to the end of Genesis, that's where we want to be. Uh, the, the life of Joseph has been in, incredibly interesting because Joseph is a guy who's been mistreated, and yet he's somebody who has done uh, really nothing. He might have been a little bit arrogant, a little bit prideful about the vision that God had given him, uh, the dreams that God had given him about his life and what that would look like. But Joseph still was a really great guy. And so he's mistreated. He works his way up. Uh, I'm sorry, he's taken as a slave in Egypt. He's mistreated again, ends up in prison. Uh, through that, uh, that prison sentence, he ends up uh, meeting Pharaoh. Him and Pharaoh hit it off. Uh, he makes him his second in command of all of Egypt. And pretty soon, here's Joseph, who is of the family of Jacob uh, to be Israel. And so here's Joseph. He's, he is an Israelite, a Hebrew, who's the second in command of Egypt. Like, this is just... It's craziness. It's unheard of. Uh, but here he is. And last week we talked about how uh, Joseph finally met his brothers. His brothers that had sold him into slavery. And in this incredible reunion. And how he begins to take care of his brothers. And he sends all of this uh, stuff home with them. 
uh, you know, Pharaoh sends uh, these wagons and, and food and provisions and all, of the, uh, and all of these things in order to enable his family to move uh, to Egypt in order to avoid this famine that has been in the land, and it will be another five years at this point. And so that's uh, where we left off this last week. This week, we're going to be in chapters 46 and 47. And uh, if I can find 46, there we go. Uh, 46 and 47. And hopefully we'll make it to the end of that. Um, but that, that will be uh, the deal there. As we walk through these chapters, one of the things that we see is we see the sovereignty of God. Almost every sermon is about uh, the sovereignty of God. So if you're like, I feel like we talked about this last week, you would be right. We're talking about this <laughs> over and over again. But really, that's the thing about Scripture is that Scripture is showing us something about the nature and character of God. So if you don't know Scripture, you don't see Scripture, you don't see the broad strokes of what God is doing over time, you're not going to understand who this God is. So Genesis is so much about God. I mean, it tells us about what God has done and what he is doing throughout all of time, and it really sets the stage for all of that. In the context of this, what we see is God's plan coming together, specifically this week. What I would say about this week is that it's still about the sovereignty of God, and yet it's a different facet of the sovereignty of God. Because what we see this week is not so much a problem as much as it is God fulfilling his promises, God's plan coming together. Now, when I was a kid, I used to love the A-Team. I don't know if you've seen this show before. I may be uh, dating myself a little bit, but I, I loved the A-Team. And then we'd watch Airwolf after that, if you remember. Yeah, yeah. Slow clap. All right. Uh, so I love the A-Team and Airwolf. But in the A-Team, there was always this in, in, incredibly, like, cheesy moment where uh, Hannibal, the lead, I guess he was kind of the lead character, really B.A. Baracus was, but uh, Hannibal uh, would say, I love it when a plan comes together. Because they would like set up these ridiculous traps, like all of these traps and these, these uh, ridiculous things. Somehow they always ended up with like, uh, you know, torches and, and welding equipment and steel and weapons and like bazookas and tanks and I mean, just somehow in this little van they had all of that stuff packed in there and they would make this incredible war machine and go they, they never killed anybody it was really quite pointless but um, um, in any case so then he would say I love it when a plan comes together because the whole thing would come to fruition and it would go uh, from there so we love it when plans come together according to the A-team but then recently I was also really intrigued by the song called God's Plan by Drake. I don't know if you've heard this song. Um, it is, it's not quite, I guess it's like maybe within the last year or something like that. But I, I just wanted to share with you just a little bit from his song. Um, you're going to love it. Uh, I don't know. Have, how many of you heard of, heard of Drake? Just like a handful. Okay, uh, quite a few. All right, so Drake has this song. He's a very well-known rapper today. And uh, I don't do this very often, but I'll be preaching out of Drake's uh, song here, because it is about God's plan. We're talking about God's plan. And so, um, anyway, let me just read uh, the entire song to you. So, uh, yeah, they wishing and wishing and wishing and wishing. They wishing on me. Yeah. <laughs> I've been moving calm. Don't start no trouble with me. Trying to keep it peaceful is a struggle for me. Don't pull up at 6 a.m. and cuddle with me. Uh, you know how I like it when you lovin' on me. I'm not sure how that works its way into the song or this idea, but it sounded good to him at the time. I don't want to die for them to miss me. 
I, 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 I don't want to die uh, and, then, and then have them miss me, I think is what he's saying. If we can read into the, uh, the deep meaning of this song, he says, yes, I see the things that they wishing on me. Hope I got some brothers that outlive me. They're going to tell the story. Stuff was different with me. That's the kids' Bob version right there. Um, <laughs> my kid, my, one of my kids was out, like, out on the swing set singing this. I'm like, is he singing God's plan? How are they listening? And then I realized there's a kids' Bob version. Okay. So uh, God's plan, God's plan. I hold back. Sometimes I won't. Yeah. I feel good. Sometimes I don't. Uh, a don't. Uh, I finessed down Weston Road a nest. Might go down a G-O-D, yeah, way. I go hard on Southside G, yo. It's kind of hard not to sing the song the way that it goes. Uh, I make sure that Northside, he, he goes on and on. Uh, later on in the song, I'll skip past a few things. Uh, she say, don't you love me? I tell her only partly. I only love my bed and my mama. I'm sorry. This poor girl, like, good grief. <laughs> 50 dub, I even got it tatted on me. 81, they bring the crashers to the party. And you know me, turn the OT2 to the O3 dog. Without 40, oh Lee, there would be no me. Imagine if I never met the Broskis. Imagine that, all right? <laughs> Such in depth lyrics, I know. Uh, there's other stuff in there too. The, the song is kind of paired with his, his video. And his video is of him passing money out. And that's a great thing. He gives money to people that need it, maybe some people that don't need it, buys everyone groceries in a store. It's, I mean, it's pretty compelling. It's a compelling video. It's great. And for whatever good that is uh, that he did there, I'm, I'm thankful for that. That's a good thing. That is, in, in that sense, that is of God. But one of the themes that I think you kind of see from, from his, his life, Drake's life, and then you know, this song and so forth is the mistaken conclusion that God's plan works to glorify me. That God's plan, when it works out properly, when it works in, in these particular ways and I make the money that, I'm, that, I, that I should have, then I can serve him. And so when these positive things happen, then that's when God's plan is working its way out. And I, I have no idea who he is and what his religion is or anything. That's the gist that I get from the song. But I, I think is, it is emblematic of what we see in life. Is this idea of when things work out the way that I think that they should work out, then that is when God's plan is taking place. That's when God's plan is, is, is happening when these things take place the way that I want them to take place. And he makes some mention about this. Imagine if I never met these guys. You know, where would I be if this hadn't happened? That kind of idea. And now here he's saying, I make sure these people eat. I don't know who the north side is, but they're apparently his friends. So he makes sure that they eat. There's this idea of self-glorification in there and the, the mistaken conclusion that we believe that God's plan is about us in life. And that is not what it is about. Look at 46, chapter 46. It says this, so Israel took his journey. Where? He's going to Egypt. They just sent word back. They got all the wagons, everything from Pharaoh. 
And uh, he's, he's, he's like, let's go. I, at first he didn't believe him. And then he says, okay, fine, let's go. So he takes off on his journey. He's been, I mean, he's been without his son for many, many years. And so here he is. He took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. Now, Beersheba is a place where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have all lived. It's an important place. There's an altar there. And it says this, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And what's he doing there? He's inquiring of God. So let's, let's take a second and just and look at this. When we t- take off on a new venture, when we go on a new journey, and we think this has to be God's plan, it's, it's going well for me. I'm going to see my son. It's going well for me. It's going to be a new job. It's going to be an increased paycheck. This has got to be God's plan because I'm operating off of the idea or the mistaken conclusion that it is going to happen the way that I think that it should happen. And so that, that is the mistaken conclusion that we come to often. But here is Jacob. Now, I don't know if he impulsively got in the wagon and was like, let's go. And then it was like, wait a minute, I'm at Beersheba. I got to stop because Beersheba is the border of Canaan. God's land that he was going to give, that he is going to give Israel. And so he comes to that border, and before he crosses, he inquires of God. He offers sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And he does that because he's looking to speak with God. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. What what is God conjuring up in his mind? God is saying, I'm the God who has led your father, and and I'm the God who has led your grandfather, Abraham. I'm the God of all time. I'm the God of all things. So God is announcing himself to him. He says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. Now, why why does God say that? Because we don't hear Jacob's prayer. We don't hear what he said. But what it seems clear is this, is that God is answering a question that Jacob had. Jacob comes to God and he says, I am afraid to go into Egypt. And Spurgeon has three possibilities, or I'm sorry, four that he says possible reasons and really all of these together Uh, as to why he would be afraid to go into Egypt. The first thing is that Jacob was an old man. He doesn't like to move, doesn't like to be in new places, doesn't want to go to things. I don't know if you have a grandfather, and he's like, ah, I don't want to go there, you know, like, forget that, you know, whatever. So he's old. He's like 130. So second, Egypt was a very pagan country. We know from Jacob and his family that uh, there was at least one time where, like, they had to get rid of all the idols. And then we start thinking, why were there all these idols in the midst of these people? Well, they're picking this stuff up. They're picking up things from the surrounding areas, from these other people. They're picking up ideas and these false gods. And so secondly, Jacob would be concerned. My family is going to be risked by going to this pagan country. The third reason why Jacob would be fearful is that Egypt... Had, a, had bad past memories for Jacob. Because Abraham, early on in this story, uh, experiences a famine in, in Canaan, and he's like, there's no food here, I'm just going to go to Egypt. So instead of inquiring uh, with God about, about whether he should go to Egypt or not, he just goes. And that's where the debacle in Egypt happens. He, tell, he says that uh, Sarah is, 
his sister, not his wife. He ends up picking up this gal, Hagar. Hagar ends up being a big debacle in his marriage and all of that. And so there's, there's that whole issue. Isaac was commanded not to go. And Jacob had been warned, no doubt, by his family to not go to Egypt because of this. That would be the fourth reason. So there's all these reasons to have this fear. And God says, don't be afraid to go to Egypt. And then he adds something to the promise. He's, he's already told him, I'm going to make you into a great nation. But God tells him, God reveals a little bit more. And he says, for there I will make you into a great nation. God finally reveals to him, hey, I know that you thought I was going to give you this land and you're going to become this great nation right here. But God's plan was not that they would be in Canaan, but that they would go to Egypt. And why would God do that? I mean, God is Lord over all things. Why couldn't he just like make it rain in Canaan and not in Egypt and be like, I'm just going to preserve my people right here. So God has a plan that like I wouldn't do that way. Like, God, why do they have to go to Egypt to go do this? And Jacob was also, I'm sorry, Abraham was warned, and no doubt this was passed on to his family from Genesis 15, 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So why is Jacob fearful? Jacob is fearful because he's starting to put the pieces together. Oh, yeah, great-grandfather told me or told dad, and he told me that we were going to be enslaved, that we were going to be in this very difficult place and be afflicted for 400 years. So here's Jacob, who, who has been, really been kind of a screw-up for much of his life. He's finally kind of doing what's right. He's seeking after God before he makes big decisions. And God's like, hey, you're going to go to Egypt, and that's where I'm going to make you into a great nation. And so Jacob's putting the pieces together. Oh, this is that affliction again. God's sending, sending me and my family into a horrible affliction. Thanks, God, for your plan. God's plan. God's plan. It's not about handing out dollar bills, y'all. It's that God is doing whatever he wants, whenever he wants and Jacob inquires of God, and, is, and, and God answered, and verse 4 says this, I myself will go, uh, will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. God's promise to him is more than just, I'm sending you, I'm banishing you, you're going to be there, it's going to be really hard, you're going to go on your own. Now, when we are operating within the context and the understanding of God's plan, when we're understanding that ultimately, like, we don't have anything to say about this plan. I'm in God's plan whether I know it or not. The truth is whether I'm going to willingly participate with what God is doing, working towards his glorification and his honor. But God is so comforting because he says, but I'm going with you but I'm going with you. Moses, sometime later, has a conversation with God. And he says, I'll go, but I will not go unless you go with me. I'll go, but I will not go unless you go with me. And see, my question is, to myself, is this. Am I so committed to the idea of being involved with God's plan that I'm unwilling 
to go anywhere or do anything without God saying, but I'm going to go with you. But I'm going to go with you. Am I so committed to the idea that like it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the opportunity is? I mean, as, as we get a little bit older, I'm 42 now, and I think about um, you know, what, what I'm doing in life, what I enjoy, experiences that I'd like to have, things that I'd like to do, things that I'd like to be involved, involved in. I get so caught up in the idea of just like, it doesn't matter what I do, I should just go do whatever I like to do. And I spend way less time stopping at the edge of Canaan in Beersheba and saying, God, is this what you want? Is this what you want for my life? Because I want what you want in my life. I want what you have for me. Not what I have for me. It's this whole idea of being self-ruled or being ruled by God. The whole problem in the garden was Adam and Eve saying, essentially through their deeds, that we want to rule self. And the truth is, is that we're all in that position. We're all just a just a, a heartbeat away from ruling self. If that's not our modus operandi, the, the way that we go, the way that we live is that we're ruled by self. And rarely is it, and I'm not saying throwing up just some kind of courtesy prayer, God, I hope you're in this. I'm talking about like deeply praying and God, God, are you going with me? Are you here? Is this what you want? And so that's what Jacob has learned to do. You look at the life of Jacob, and how do we see God's, God's plan in the life of Jacob? J- Jacob was, I don't know how else to say it, was a scumbag. Dude, I really dislike people like Jacob, who cheated his brother. He's a mama's boy. He takes off running when Esau comes after him. And then Laban takes advantage of him, and then you look at his life and the decisions that he made, impulsivity after impulsivity after impulsivity, you look at what our world says. Our world says, do what you want to do. Live how you want to live. Don't let anybody tell you uh, not to do that. Every graduation ceremony has some ridiculousness about this. You, don't let anybody tell you not to do this. Don't, don't be tied down by the past. What, that, this, that, the other. And that's who Jacob was, and you saw the results of that in his life. But here he is, and God's plan has had its work in Jacob because Jacob has gone through God's little training program called life, and it has taken a lifetime, 130 years, for Jacob to finally come to a point where he's like, okay, God, where do you want me? And that's pretty phenomenal. God's plan is seen in the life of Jacob. It says in verse 5, Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all of his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons and daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. It then goes into essentially kind of a genealogy listing all of these family members, which we're not going to go into right now. The whole point is this, is that Jacob went and he fully obeyed. He took his entire family, he took all of them with him, 
and went to Egypt as God had told him, that's where I'm going to make you into a great nation. So he's fully obeying now. Jacob has grown, as I said already. Verse 26, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, including Jacob's sons, wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born, into, uh, born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Okay. Verse 28. He had sent Judah ahead of him. Do you remember Judah? Judah's the guy, I mentioned this last week, but I think it's important. Judah's the guy that mistakenly slept with his daughter-in-law. It's a horrid story. And here's Judah. Judah is becoming a great man. What's also important about this is that, I think it was Holly Hawes, one of our uh, members here at Outward Church, who was, I heard she said this in a community group, but she was talking about the fact how interesting it is that all of this work, God's plan, was not to preserve Joseph, but it was actually to preserve Judah. It was actually to preserve this guy who was, used to be a scumbag. By the way, fellow scumbags, myself included, there's hope for us. If there's hope for Judah, there's hope for you, and there's hope for me. God uses Judah powerfully. But right here it says, He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Think about this moment. If this was a movie, it'd be a great movie. Sorry to mention the movie Taken again. I think I've done it three weeks in a row. Uh, I really need to go watch it again or something like that. But it's the idea of the, the, the dad and the, the daughter meeting up and hugging uh, for the first time since she was held captive. It's that kind of a situation. It's that moment. Can you imagine the emotion that would have been going through both of their minds and their hearts? I mean, just flooded with tears and flooded with all kinds of affection for one another. And, jo and Jacob says, now, <laughs> I can die now since I've seen your face and I know that you're still alive. But immediately what comes to my mind, and I think what would come into all of our minds, is the idea that like, why the heck did this have to happen? Why? I, I mean, I would be asking, why? Why did this have to happen? Why did Joseph have to be taken captive? I mean, you're still at the end of the day. You're joyful that you just met your son again or you re reunited with him. But at the same time, I'd be asking the question, God, why are you letting this happen? And ultimately, when we get into those situations, we find ourselves kind of even questioning, like, God, why did you even do it this way? Like, that is so, it is so foolish, God. Like, and ultimately, we come down to this point where we say, I just wouldn't have done it that way. I don't know why you did. I would not have allowed my son to be taken into slavery and captivity. And I'm glad he's second in command of Egypt, but I would be really frustrated. And some of us are really frustrated. Even though we see some of the benefit, it's still hard, isn't it? It's still hard to see what God does. But here, here's the thing. God's plan works independent of what you and I think God should be doing. And God is up there and he's saying, I love it when a plan comes together 
that is orchestrated by me and for me and to me, that is to God himself, for his glory. And the question is, is you can receive that. You can receive God's chastening. You can receive God's um, plan that we, that, we would not, that we would not have planned that way when you come to the point, you can receive that when we come to the point where we say, it is all about your glory. It is all about you. It is all for you. It is about you. For from him and through him and to him are all things, the Apostle Paul says in Romans. It's such an amazing passage because it's basically saying that like, man, all of this stuff is about God. It's for God. It's to God. And the question is, see, Christian people are not just people that give lip service to God, that say, I like Jesus. I like going to church. I listen to worship music, that kind of stuff. No, Christian people are submitted under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ and living in the context of his kingdom. We are those people. Can you receive that? Because I don't know as Jacob, I mean, I would just be sad for all the years. He was 17. I didn't, I didn't get to see him get married. I, didn't, I wasn't there for the birth of his two sons. I mean, there's just so much stuff. Why? Look at verse 31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up. I mean, it just, it very quickly goes out of, they reunite. That's, there's like two verses uh, com uh, committed to that. And then all of a sudden it goes into, Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even till now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the, Egypt, uh, to the Egyptians. Now, I, I got to tell you, this has been one of the tougher sermons for me because it's just kind of telling you like one thing after another after another. And I, and I have to kind of step back, and it was super frustrating. I mean, late last night I was going, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and so I was frustrated with this. But here, here's what I feel like I, I figured out. You look at that instance with Jacob and Joseph, and you go, God, Why? Why? And then it immediately goes into, in kind of a confusing way, talking about Joseph saying, okay, here's the plan, guys. And what was his plan? Joseph's plan was this. He says, I'm going to go talk to Pharaoh. And he's very specific about what he's going to tell Pharaoh. He's going to tell Pharaoh, this is what my family has been doing for a very long time. He ends that whole statement with saying, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Here's Joseph. He's spent years upon years in Egyptian society as a slave, as a prisoner, and then finally as the governor of Egypt. He knows the politics of Egypt. He knows the people of Egypt. He knows the language of Egypt. He knows the land uh, of Egypt. He knows the king of Egypt. He knows all of these things. And so here he is as a masterful politician. 
And he says this. He says, I know how to get you into Goshen. Now, why is Goshen, it's going to say the land of Ramses, same thing. Why is Goshen a great place? Well, it is a great place for grazing, but it's also a place that Egyptians don't necessarily want to be. And so Egypt could be tucked away into this corner of Egypt and have their own place and their own people. This is where they're going to be able to grow into a great nation. So here's Joseph. He knows so much about this place, about these people, and he's able to immediately say to them, this is specifically what I want you to say. You're going to walk in the room. There's going to be Pharaoh. He's going to be sitting down. He's going to have this giant thing on his head, this weird staff, maybe this stuff. Might have some eye makeup on, that type of stuff. Don't worry about that. And then he says, listen, he's going to say to you, what do you do for work? And you're going to be like, we're shepherds. And, and, but he's going to hate that. So then you need to say, we want to go to Goshen. So he totally sets him up for this. Look at chapter 47, verse 1. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They're now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Now, he took five brothers. Now, he's got uh, a few brothers. And some of them, you know, they're, they're not exactly the best looking dudes, right? I mean, they're, they're, I don't know what it is. Some of them are balding at this point. Others of them just have lost teeth and, and things like that smell bad. And so he takes the five best looking brothers and he brings them in front of Pharaoh. He presents them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says to his brothers, what's your occupation? Oh, Joseph is right. That's the first question that Pharaoh asks. What do you, what do, you do for work? And they say to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, lost my place. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to, to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know uh, any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Why does God allow Joseph to go there? Why has God allowed you to be caught in, in something that just like takes years out of your life? He's got to send us places sometimes. And it just, it feels like this is such a waste of time. My career has been put on hold. Things have, things have happened. And I could have gone so far, but see, God's plan isn't your idea of what it looks like to fulfill God's plan. Because first of all, you don't know God's plan. God is the only one who knows his plan. And what we see through that is that God has clearly gone before Israel. He's clearly gone before his people. And he takes Joseph out of this family, out of the comforts of his home. And he puts him in this land, Egypt, and he trains him. He's on God's training program. And he allows him to, to become intricately involved with these people to the point where his family finally comes to him and he's able to get them into the best of the land, into an 
enclave away from everybody else so that they can grow into this nation while the famine passes. And he takes care of them and he feeds them and he gives them everything that they need. See, God's care still happened in Jacob's life. It still happened in Joseph's life. But God's care is for his people. And so he's going before his people to preserve the Savior, to preserve the Messiah. It says in verse 7, Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> it's like, I mean, this, he's a true old guy. He's a true old guy. He's just like, I don't care what you think about me. I've hated most of my life. It's actually seemed pretty short to me. You're probably going to hate your life too. God bless you. <laughs> the end. I mean, th th that is such a weird, like, why is that in there? That's, that's, <laughs> that's what I kept asking is why is that in there? But I, I want you to see two things. End of verse 7, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Beginning of verse 10, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And, and I think that there's a thread here. God, why? Why are you doing this? Well, uh, first of all, we see God preserving his people. Secondly, what we see is this, is that uh, Pharaoh is blessing God's people. If you look at when God originally called Abraham, Israel comes from Abraham, God said to Abraham, he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then he says in verse 3, chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So there's a future blessing of all the fam families that are going to be blessed. And it is in and, th in and through Jesus that that's going to happen. Because Jesus is the one who's being preserved. That family is being preserved. And it will ultimately end in Jesus. The other thing is this, is that the people who bless God's people are going to be blessed. And so Jacob blesses him twice. And then as a result, we really don't have time to talk about it. But ultimately, I'll just show you a couple things, is verse 13 on down uh, to verse uh, 26 is basically talking about Joseph's economic policy. And so it takes another weird turn, and it starts to talk about what Joseph did in order to enrich Pharaoh and enrich Egypt. And ultimately, the way that it ends is that uh, Joseph ends up buying not just all of the land, not just all of the livestock, uh, not, doesn't just take the money, but he ultimately ends up enslaving the entire nation. And the nation ends up responding, I don't know if this is a true pull that they took uh, in verse 25, and it says, and they said, you have saved our lives, may it please the Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. The truth is this, this is a massive economic recession. This is, this is worse than the Great Depression. This is the world being in famine. Can you even imagine a society that is completely based on agriculture that has no agriculture? 
And so everybody is starving. So it doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how much land you have, doesn't matter how, much, how many animals you have, everyone's going to die if the government doesn't do something. So Joseph takes all of those things because they're also giving out a lot of things. So he takes all of these things, this incredible economic policy, and by the end, he ends up saving not just the nation of Israel, but the nation of Egypt and the surrounding area because of this. Why? Why does God do this? Why? Because his plan is happening different than our plan. How could we have even put this together? It's not the way that we would have done it. And it says this, verse 27 Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. That's a fulfillment of a promise. This is God's plan coming to fruition. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years and when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If I've now found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh. It's a weird handshake back in those days. And <laughs> promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Now, briefly, it's not the way that we would have done it. It's not the way that you would do it. Guess what? There's things in your life that are happening and the way that you wouldn't have done it. And God's plan happens differently than you want it to. You may be able to see the broad strokes of that in the, in the future, but you're going to miss it if you end up in bitterness and anger towards God because you're upset about what he's done. And so what you ultimately have to say is, am I submitting to the plan of God that would be unconventional in a way that I would not have done it? It's not the way that Drake would have wanted it to happen. It's not the way that Hannibal would have wanted it to happen. It's the way that God uniquely has designed that life would go. And are you okay with that? Because I hope that you are, because Jesus is the one that ultimately comes from this plan. Without God's unique and crazy and intertwined and just immense plan, we would not have Jesus. And what we have through Jesus is this crazy plan where God sends him. He sends him into suffering. He sends him into rejection. He sends him to a people that don't love him. And they ultimately crucify him. And he's crucified for your and my desires to live our own lives the way that we want to live it. To live it under our rule and reign, under our plan. Now, some of you are sitting here right now and you know that your plan stinks because your life is in the place where you've been planning and so you're, you're reaping the rewards of a life that you thought was going to be fantastic because you were operating by your plan. And some of you are in a drunken stupor, in a sense, because your life has gone exactly the way that you wanted it. And the other shoe has not dropped yet. And you've not really seen your need for God because your plan is still going fine. That's okay. We'll still be here to show you when that shoe drops 
when life comes apart, when you realize it's unmanageable, even though you have everything, when you realize you got the job, but you lost the wife, when you realize that you got the sale, but you lost your character, that you got the girl, but you destroyed your marriage, when you realize that, when you see that, when you see that plan that falls apart and, and you finally say, I want to submit to God's plan, here's how that needs to go. It begins with repentance that says, I'm a sinner. I sinned against God. I sin against God repeatedly. I sin against a holy God. And I want to be in step and in line with his plan through Jesus Christ, a plan that I would not have made up, a way that I would not have made for salvation. But God is the one who ordained that Jesus, God in the flesh, would come and die and sacrifice himself. And that is the point. Once you've repented, you must believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You must trust him. And some of you who have already gone through that are not trusting him as Savior today. The gospel is not just the beginning of your Christian life. It is the continual uh, propulsion behind your Christian life as you relive that over and over again and realizing a greater position of salvation, a greater understanding, I should say, of salvation, understanding what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your plan. Father, we thank you that you've orchestrated all things for all time in and through the Son and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I pray that there be many people in here that submit their lives to you and to your ultimate plan of salvation that we see working its way out through the life of Jacob and Joseph and all the others. Lord, may we submit to that with our whole hearts and may we follow after you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.